You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Good morning. I would like to begin by giving you a behind-the-scenes look at what created this series uh, through, through the eyes of a mother. Back in July, our family took a vacation, and on the vacations, uh, most of the staff that know me well know I love to listen to new music, and I love to write and to read. Um, and uh, one of the staff, Kaylee, had shared a playlist. She created the playlist that was entitled TSM Vacay. And so on a long flight, um, most everyone in my family was asleep. Um, I can't sleep in a plane breathing everybody else's air. Just can't do it. Um, so I'm writing, I'm listening, I'm reading. And, uh, every, the first song started with an emphasis on Mary. And um, I decided to open the Bible and begin to look at Mary and to examine Mary. And then the next song, man, I, I couldn't help but notice, man, Mary could sing that. And then the next song, goodness gracious, Mary could say that when this happened in her life. And slowly, a series was started, and I had a graph paper uh, filled with a potential outline for this series based on songs. And so the series is called Through the Eyes of a Mother, and what, what you'll see is behind the, the curtain look, um, every song that we do at the end of the service, the end of the message, is like putting a bow on the message because, in a real sense, uh, the messages were written with those songs in mind. Uh, so last week, hopefully, you got to see how that played out. Um, last week, we looked at Mary's conception, and this week, I want us to look at Through the Eyes of Mary his birth. Mary is the only person that was with Jesus from the moment of the crib all the way to the cross. And she went even further. She was one of those that was in the upper room in the book of Acts, waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit. But today, as we look at her birth uh, of Jesus, I have a question. When was the last time you held a newborn? Not, not a two-month-old, not a six-month-old but a brand spanking new newborn. Uh, maybe it was a niece or a nephew. Maybe it was a brother or sister for some of the room that are young. Uh, maybe it was a grandchild or maybe it was your own child. Um, if you can remember that moment, we all have vivid memories of those moments. Um, just to kind of show you what it's like in our world, the Miller family. Uh, I remember scared to death. I don't like hospitals. I don't like blood. I got nervous, you know. Uh, I didn't think I'd make it through the delivery. Um, and so Jen's doing all the work, but I'm like, I, I got to be there for her side, but I don't know. Um, I'm not saying it's harder on guys than the gals, trust me. But um, it was in those days, like, like while she was... Uh, about to give birth, I created playlists of music that were inappropriate uh, just to give us a little bit of laughter. Um, one of the songs was by Salt and Peppa. Uh, you can figure that out. <laughs> and um, some people at church that we didn't know were stopping by. No offense, I'm really not a people person. And um, I kept sending them off. And then I asked that they take our name off the list. And somehow people got the phone number of the room, and while Jenny's pushing, that phone's going off, I ripped the phone out of the wall. Um, Jenny might 
just might have said a wordy dirt or two, um, <laughs> but it was well-deserved. But if you can remember what that was like, you somewhat have an idea of how Mary felt. Every mom goes through it. You're physically drained, emotionally exhausted, and yet still, here's how Mary will spend what little bit of energy she has left. For nine months, she imagined this moment, but now she will look into his eyes. She will feel his forehead and wipe away the moisture. She will touch that bump of a nose. She will squeeze, like, like she will squeeze the curves of his ear between her fingers. And she would run her fingers through what little hair he has. I'm telling you, for nine months she'd imagined it. For nine months she'd envisioned it. But now there is no, no longer a need for imagination. The Bible doesn't record her first words upon his birth, but I can't help but wonder if her first words were, so, so this is what the Messiah looks like. Beneath the stars in the sky, surrounded by cattle and sheep, and a dumbfounded husband, right? Colossians says it this way, for in him, this baby, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 19, on behalf of this baby, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in this baby, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Comprehend this, to see Jesus is to see God. When it highlights all his fullness would dwell in him, that phrase in the Greek text would only show up a couple times in the New Testament. And each time it was like an exact replica of a statue. Each time it would draw a comparison of a, a seal of a stamp. Each time it would even bring to mind the imagery of a brand on a calf. Um, meaning you can't leave it to an artist's rendition. No, it, it's the exact. When our family has the privilege to go out west, uh, we've met friends that are off the beaten path, I mean way off the beaten path, and um, they had a cattle branding day, and my kids got to participate. I mean, they'd rope the cow, the calves, and uh, Elon and Silas would both hold them down. Jenny would give them vaccines. And then there was the branding. Um, by the way, I, I did not show the video because I didn't want to get emails from you guys. It is graphic, and it is harsh, and it is loud, but when you see the brand, on that cattle, you know who it belongs to. And understand, Jesus would even say it this way, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Let that set in. Jesus didn't claim to be godly. Jesus didn't claim to be godlike. Jesus claimed to be God. And no wonder in Luke 2, upon his birth, Mary would, the Bible says, but Mary treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. I can't help but wonder, okay, what things? What, what, what things? Well, in the first place, I'm bringing them out. 
this dude, Shepherd. Uh, Mary says this after he's come on the scene. Like, this dude and some others show up, and so I'm going to fix this. She's staring at the shepherd. The first question that I think she's asking as she ponders these things is, what are these guys doing in here? I mean, you can't help but wonder, why are they here? Chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. You see, Jesus was born in the village of Bethlehem, and somehow these guys who are on a field have got to get to Bethlehem. How's it going to happen? Well, sometimes in the New Testament, God speaks through a dream, like where someone falls asleep and either they wake up and the dream is ever-present and clear, but God's not going to speak to these guys through a dream. Sometimes God speaks through a prophet. Um, a prophet that shoots straight, but God's not going to speak to these shepherds through a prophet. God is going to send, once again, a messenger. And it's startling enough that the messenger shows up, because guess why? These guys weren't expecting a messenger. Chapter 2, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Like, they were not singing, oh, holy night. They were probably singing, oh, holy something else, right? <laughs> Scared. We have a problem today where we uh, take kids and we put them in bathrooms, bathrobes, and we throw them on a stage, and we've grown accustomed to that for too long. We've lost the horror of what happened in this passage. Think about a movie. When's the last time you watched a movie and just jumped because of something that took place? A, a character jumps out of nowhere. Or, or think about some character in a movie that moves into a vacant house, and all the lights are off, but somehow they're trying to look in the mirror by a, by a uh, candle, and another face shows up behind them in the mirror. Like, scares them because they did not expect to see that. Understand. These shepherds that were tending sheep on a field, they did not expect to see this. Their hearts are pounding. Verse 10, the angel said to them, hey, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all people. We're, we're not here to haunt you. We're not here to hurt you. We're not here to kill you. We're here to bless you, to give you good news, great joy for all people. Look here, today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Remember we talked about this, it was predicted a thousand years ago. Uh, David wanted to build a palace, a temple for the Ark of the Covenant, because he lived in a palace. Tired of the Ark of the Covenant living in the tent, God said, David, your hands are too bloody. One of your kids will do this. But David, in strange, beautiful twist of words, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build a house through you. And God promised that there would be a lineage through David in which the Messiah would come. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. He's talking to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Um, you guys are going to find the baby, but by the way, you're going to have to travel. You're going to see him with your own eyes. But what this is going to require, up to this point they've received information. Now they've received an invitation. 
Like information is one thing, like they're hearing all the details, but, but now they have an invitation. Um, it's like, how will we know? Well, it's going to be tough, going to be a little complicated, maybe, maybe somewhat simple. Uh, you guys just go to the town and, um, and you look hard. But before the angels disappear, one more thing happens. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying, we got a legion of angels that show up on the scene. I, I can't help but think, you know, we've got these uh, air shows in Knoxville. I can't help but wonder if, if these guys are in formation. I mean, killer, killer imagery. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Like glory up there and peace down here. I mean, th- those words in and of itself would be a beautiful prayer for us to pray this year. Glory up there, and God bring your peace down here. Verse 16, so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I can't help but wonder, did they search every barn, every shed, every cave, until one of them finally spoke up, he's here, there is a baby lying in this feeding trough. Um, Back to that question. Uh, Mary's giving him the stare down. What are you doing in here? Um, Here's why. For so long they've been waiting for this moment, for the Messiah to show up, for God himself to visit the planet, God with us. Understand for so long um, they wanted to see the Creator in bodily form, meaning the Son of God with skin on. And the shepherds win the lottery. I mean, let that set in. A bunch of common, normal, I guarantee some of them were kind of abnormal. In, in, today's, in today's world, that would be like us common, normal, ordinary people, like, like, like teachers and attorneys and financial advisors and stay-at-home moms and guys on staff at a church and, you know, students and athletes. It just a some normal people showed up. So don't miss this. When Mary's asking, what are these guys doing in here? When God comes to earth, the first people to see him are ordinary people. They're normal. And their invitation sets the stage for Jesus' ministry on earth. Here's what I mean. Think about Jesus' earthly ministry. And there was a time when moms brought their children to Jesus to ask him to bless them. But Jesus was busy. He was teaching. He was healing. He was listening. And the disciples, who were the time management experts, spoke up to the mom and said, hey, he doesn't have time. You're all going to have to take the kids away. But Jesus said, no, bring the kids to me. And he blesses the kids, and in so doing, he blesses the moms. You know what that means? Those kids and those moms are on the invitation list. Or how about the time that Jesus was walking through a village with the disciples, and he got tired. The disciples headed off to go get some food. Jesus sat at a well with a woman who happened to be a Samaritan. She was lowering her bucket to get water. He asked her if he could have a little water. It was awkward because he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. The two didn't talk. They didn't get along. And there was no way that a Jew would actually put his lips on the bucket of a water that was, that was drawn from a Samaritan woman. A discourse takes place and Jesus offers her a water that she'll never thirst again. He offers her this, this beauty of she will never 
thirst in her soul. You know what that means? This woman's got the invitation too. Or how about a religious dude, Nicodemus? Uh, This guy is uh, well known for keeping his life together. He follows all the rules and rules on top of rules. But he knows something's missing. He's heard Jesus. He's heard about him. So one night on top of a house, they have a conversation. And Jesus tells him, hey, the rules ain't it. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to experience new birth. Hey, guess why? Because Nicodemus is on the invitation list. And right after the, the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus, John, the author, summarizes it. Look, look who else is on the invitation list. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever. That's the invitation list. Kind of wide to me. Maybe it's broad to some of you. Guess what? That includes us. You and I are on the invitation list. So when you feel like you've drifted too long, you've waited too long, when you feel like you're too old, when you feel like you're too messed up, I just want to remind you today, no matter how bad it's been in the last week, the last month, or year, your name is on the invitation list. Um, let's transition from the stare down, because it's not just about the shepherds and what they're doing there. Truth be told, Mary's got another question. What is Jesus doing here? I mean, the Son of God comes to earth, he's wrapped in cloths in a feeding trough by a peasant couple. I mean, first century was all about status. You know, today it's a lot about status, but first century even more. It was all about, you know, status meaning who you know and your last name. What were your grandparents like? How, how high were they on the ladder? What were your parents like? Um, what was your house like? Did you have an orchard? Did you have a vineyard? What was the wealth like? Do you have horses? Do you have a lot of land? You even married people based on elevating your status. You were friends with people that would elevate your status. So what is Jesus doing here? I mean, talk about no status. Peasant parents, a barn, a cave, a shed, and a feeding trough. Well, Paul would shed light on this. Paul would tell the church at Philippi, rather, he, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Paul writes them to help them see what he looks like and to follow a God who refuses to hold on to status. When you read Philippians, you see that the Son of God who put skin on, set aside his rights, his riches, and his reputation to serve. Um, One day the disciples were having a conversation about greatness. Nothing wrong with greatness, but they were taking it too far. Like, okay, what's the pecking order? Who's, who's right beside him and then who's under him and all this stuff? And Jesus catches up from behind and he asks them what they're talking about. And sure enough, they spill. He lets them know that there's nothing wrong with greatness, but there is a problem with the way you're longing for greatness. Deep inside the heart, 
of your, your discussion on greatness, deep inside the heart of the discussion on greatness, you're focused on status. Not so with me. Mark 10, verse 43, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So the fact that Jesus' birth was in a feed box, ready? It set the stage on how he would accomplish ministry on earth for the rest of his life. His greatness would not be built on status. It would be built through humble service. No wonder Luke 2.19, where Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Guys, think about it. As she's holding the baby, John says the word became flesh. Think about it, the size of a sesame seed. The word became flesh, the size of a small fist. The word became flesh with a body with little arms and little legs. The word became flesh and was attached to the mother through her umbilical cord. The word became flesh and was surrounded by amniotic fluid. The word became flesh and would wear diapers and would cry. The word became flesh and would sleep. Everywhere that Mary went, the Son of God would go with her. And even though Mary may be the first to learn all the depths of the answers to the question that she asked, why are you here and why is he in that spot? Even though she may have been the first to find out the answers, she wasn't the last. Today in this room, we represent just a few people and a long line of people throughout history that have discovered the answers to those questions. Ready? Who invited them? The answer, the same God that invited you. On behalf of Jesus being born in a humble feeding trough with peasant parents, why is he born in that way? Because God came to us, for us, and greatness will not be found in status. It's built through humble service. And on behalf of the invitation that's given to all, wrap your head around this. Jesus doesn't just invite you over, he invites himself over. At the end of the Bible, there's a book called Revelation, and Jesus gives a report card to seven different churches, and one of those churches is called Laodicea. This church uh, looked apart. Um, they were financially set, but they were spiritually bankrupt. And this is what Jesus said to them. Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they will eat with me. Because these are words written to believers inside a church. And, and he gives these words to all of us today in this room. He says, I stand, I speak, and I knock. And if you let me in, he says, I'm yours and you're mine. There's a big mistake that we make when he stands and he speaks and he knocks. Many of us don't want to let him come in until we get our mess cleaned up. We don't want him to see all the ugliness, but do you understand? Jesus has a habit 
of running toward the mess. When you read the New Testament accounts, especially the Gospels, when there's a messy situation, Jesus always goes straight for it. So don't let the mess be your excuse to not let him in. I want to ask a question. Do you remember the last time the door closed and perhaps you locked the door? Is it possible that you've been traveling through seasons of disappointment? A big disappointment or a series, that, a series of nonstop smaller disappointments? And you and God, you just aren't on speaking terms. You've been abandoned, you've been betrayed, deserted, deeply hurt by someone you loved and trusted. So you shut a door and you locked it. I want to tell you today, the invitation's still there. He stands, he speaks, he knocks. He wants to be deeply involved in your life, and he wants you deeply involved in his life. Guys, this is what Mary pondered. This is what she treasured in her heart. And think about it, um, as Luke chapter 2 grows, I believe it's verse 52, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, in favor with man. So Mary has a front row seat at watching how Jesus would handle all the things that you and I have a tendency of struggling with. So I'd like to close this way. If you don't mind, um, let's concentrate on what you're about to hear. Could you close your eyes and, and lower your head? These are the things that Mary pondered. If you want to see how God feels about weddings, storms, and stress, watch Jesus. If you want to see how God feels about the down and out, the hypocrites, and a world that's out of control, watch Jesus. If you want to see how God feels about darkness and disease, read the New Testament and watch Jesus. If you want to see how God feels about death, ready? Watch as He calls people to come out of the grave, and watch as He steps out of His own grave. And one day, Jesus will wipe away every tear from every eye. That means he'll touch your cheek and my cheek. And when that happens, I hope I can touch his cheek. Just like Mary did. And treasure that moment even more deeply in my heart. God, I pray for everyone in this room. They would understand that you stand, you speak, you knock. And for many, the door's been shut and locked for far too long. I pray that they would open the door. God, I thank you that we have been invited. And I thank you that you were born in a humble state to set the stage for how you would humbly serve.
May we be a church that sets aside status. And may we be known. A church that loves well because we serve well. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.